It's go time. CFL preseason is coming down to the wire, and there's a lot at stake for careers and for lineups as we head into week one of the CFL. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Heath, we've seen it so many times in the past. We're going to see it again come up this Thursday and Friday with the last four games of the preseason. Starting quarterbacks now get onto the field. We saw a bit of it last week. A bit of a surprise. Bo Levi Mitchell played almost an entire first quarter. It kind of uh, caught me off guard, but when the chance is to learn a new offense, you've got to take it, right? Absolutely. And we also saw Zach Kolaris play a quarter plus five minutes with a team that he already was familiar with all of the pieces. So preseason games, you've got to get the the starting quarterback some reps at some point. Interesting conversation in the radio broadcast of the Winnipeg-Edmonton game that they wanted to get Zach Kolaris in early because of the schedule of when the second preseason game is versus when they start the season. They felt that getting him the reps early gives him an opportunity to rest and prepare because they've got a six-day turnaround from second preseason to season opener. It was a, an interesting start for him as well. They didn't really do much the first couple of possessions and then all of a sudden goes out on the third possession and throws a 72-yard bomb. So I guess he's ready to go. Uh, I had a friend in the stands in Hamilton for that preseason game as well. And and his report was that Bo Levi threw a lot of deep balls and looked pretty strong. So hopefully that answers some of the questions about his arm injury in the past and looks like he's ready to go. He certainly looked sharp. And it's the typical Zach Kolaris sort of game where at times you wonder if he's going to be accurate tonight. The next thing you know, he's found Kenny Lawler. They've scored a touchdown and away they go. The bigger questions, I guess, are coming out of Ottawa, to be quite honest. The health and uh, status of their number one quarterback, Jeremiah Mazzoli. We learned on the broadcast on TSN on Friday night that he had had some setbacks that weren't exactly public, and this came down to some infection in the leg that uh, Garrett Marino hit, and the hit created complications from having to have surgery on it. And that has set him back. Now, the perhaps the fortuitous part of this game is that A, he didn't have to play. B, we got to see uh, Nick Arbuckle perform, and he performed fairly well. It may come down to Nick Arbuckle carrying the team for a couple of weeks before they get their first bye, and that gives Mazzoli another month from here anyway where he could heal up even more. One of the frustrating things as a fan is the lack of transparency and disclosing extent of injuries sometimes. And we're seeing that a little bit with Jeremiah Mazzoli and the Red Blacks. We don't know how long he's going to be out. It doesn't seem to be that it's going to be really long-term. And to have a backup quarterback with the experience that Nick Arbuckle has so far will calm the waters a little bit in Ottawa it's certainly going to be Jeremiah Mazzoli's team 
as the number one quarterback when he's healthy and ready to go. When that is exactly, we don't know at this point. It's not always a case where the teams are trying to be quiet or give you disinformation, as it were. This case, I think, caught everybody off guard because Mazzoli was on a track to be back for camp. There wasn't anything that they thought would be different, and then suddenly you learn that there's been an infection. Now, that could come up at any point after a surgery. Typically, it happens immediately, but it you just don't know how the body is going to react anytime it's been opened up. For Jeremiah Mazzoli, this is kind of a setback that he didn't want to have to face. And at the age that he's at, at 35, his career, this could be it. If there is no way that he can come back from that, it would be an absolute shame. But this could be the final marker. It's just hard to say. I hope for his sake and I hope for the Red Black's sake that he's going to be healthy. Having Arbuckle and him as a one-two, not so bad. No, and, and really, as far as quarterback rooms go, uh, Mazzoli Arbuckle 1-2 is a pretty decent one as far as the CFL goes. BC's got Vernon Adams and Dane Evans, which is also a, a pretty decent 1-2 punch. There's a lot of teams in the league that have some question marks on that number two guy and possibly even number one as we head into the second set of preseason games. I don't think there's much competition for the number one guy overall outside of maybe Toronto. They seem to be on board with Chad Kelly being the number one guy, but he is still unproven. So if he gets off to a rocky start, do they start looking at some other options down the line? That's a great question. And you mentioned BC right off the top. Judd Erickson looked pretty strong for the Lions He may make people in BC forget about the number 12 if he continues to develop. The chances of a trade possibly working out could happen. The Rough Riders, you could argue, are deep in quarterback. There's a lot of moving parts. Somebody that we don't expect is not going to make a roster. And there is maybe that opportunity for Ottawa to take a look at it. The question is, will they need to? And this is the hard part. At this point, we don't know. And Winnipeg seems to have maybe found that number three guy that they have been missing since Chris Strevler moved on to the end of NFL. I can't remember his first name. T. T. Pigram had a long touchdown run, and and that's and a very fast touchdown run. He mentioned post game that he runs about a a four five or a four five four forty yard dash in combine. So pretty speedy and has that game-changing ability if you're running him out on those third and short plays. If he gets a seam, he might be gone. Tyro Pegram is the person to which you refer. Yes, he did acquit himself very well against Edmonton. Conversely, I think Edmonton quarterbacking looked decent. They, they struggled for points at the beginning, but they, they seemed to get everything together. And in fact, that game came down to a last play field goal that was blocked. I think for the Elks, buoys them a little bit that they've got Ford as well. And maybe Kai Loxley, maybe Daigie. It's it's a question of how you want to go with the last two. Because of course, Loxley, Kai Loxley always gives you that option of having him as a receiver. Jared Daigie, more of a traditional drop back quarterback. 
I would think at this point Loxley is is likely to be the number three guy be, just because of that intangible of the ability to play receiver and to play quarterback. But you're right there. They have some options there. Things are looking good and, uh, and we'll see what they decide to do. Trey Ford and Taylor Cornelius do provide a pretty interesting one, two punch at quarterback for the Elks. Trey Ford, if he's given the opportunity, I think he's going to max it out. Uh, it, it just with Taylor Cornelius, you've got height, you've got a strong arm, with Terrell Ford, you've got, or I should say, with Trey Ford, you've got a person that gives you some width in the in the field of play. He can pressure the edge if he wants to, not necessarily having to run it, but he could certainly, as Doug Flutie used to do uh, fantastically, just set up your pass by moving out to the outside and, and stretching the defense. I'd love to see that kind of football come back. We had some mobile quarterbacks. You mentioned Doug Flutie, Tracy Ham, Damon Allen come to mind as well with that ability to get outside, move things around and still throw accurately downfield or tuck it and run when the opportunity comes. Trey Ford, like Terrell Pigram, has some speed in that position. So open field, he's going to eat up some yards and you've got to be mindful of that as a defense. But if you start cheating too much to take away the run from him, he's still dangerous enough to find some of those receivers. And we know they've got some hungry ones in Edmonton that are looking for some yards. The Blue Bombers, you mentioned that they've got Pigram doing well. Drew Brown, where does he fit in that equation? He's been there before. Does he fall into place as number two or what happens now? I would imagine he still stays on as number two. He's had a couple of seasons already in that backup role. I haven't seen a ton from him as to instill a lot of confidence as that second quarterback. I imagine at this point they're going to look at him as the number two guy, but uh, Terrell Pigram is, is, is an option, and maybe they look at a few games with Pigram in as that short yardage quarterback for a different look. If they do that, I, I know Pigram can press any defense. Just seeing what... I saw of him against the Elks. He could be a scary commodity in that role, but I'm sure for his development, the Blue Bombers don't want to make him just uniquely that. They don't, they don't want a Tommy Stevens in Calgary. Well, that's all he does is just come out and run on third down. And my apologies, I called him Tommy Daniels last show. I got corrected by somebody who follows the show and I appreciate that. It's Tommy Stevens and yeah, the, the even the blue, you know, for the blue bombers, that's great if you've got somebody like that. His traveler did it well. You, you want, I think, in all of your quarterbacks, especially when we've talked last episode about the three quarterbacks that could be on the field in the NFL, two dressed, a third one dressed but not rostered. If that comes to play, then you want that guy to be a chucker, you don't want him to be a runner. That's a fair point. It's a different nuance of the game, CFL versus NFL, in really having those short yardage specialist quarterbacks. We don't see that nearly as much in the NFL. Uh, part of that I, I have heard is the one yard off the ball that we have in the CFL sets things up for a, a more violent collision and a bit more nuance to it. Whereas in the NFL, if it's a, a third and short, or fourth and short in the NFL, they're going for that that play 
it's it's basically snap the ball and fall forward. You bring up a great point about the CFL being a yard off the ball. It actually makes the offensive linemen in the CFL having to be a little bit more adept at reading what the defense is doing and having to be quicker on their feet because there is a second or two, well, for want of a better timing ratio, that the defense can move laterally straight up at you, whatever the case may be. So you've got to be a little bit more dexterous in the CFL than I think you do in the NFL. Maybe the ends, you know, the, the tackles are the same, but in, in between them, I think it's there's more demand on the CFL. And with some of the undersized defensive ends in the CFL, you've got that speed element coming at you as well. So the footwork is very important in keeping the flanks protected and not having those guys get around the edge and have a free shot at your quarterback. Exactly. We started off the top about talking about what's going to happen this weekend because we're starting to see all of the starting quarterbacks get their mark except in Ottawa. That's the one place where they're not going to go with obviously Mazzoli nor Arbuckle to start the game. Means that we're going to see Trevor Harris with the Saskatchewan offense for the first time. Uh, We've already seen Jake Mayer. He's going to definitely be back at it against BC. Vernon Adams Jr. is going to be out there. It's starting to it's almost like you're getting a feel for what the beginning of the season is going to become because here come the veterans, here come the guys that are going to be starting. It's kind of that last chance to earn a roster spot, but more of that work needs to be done in practice and scrimmage right now than it does in that game time because, as you mentioned, second preseason game is the time to get the the sharpness back and the game speed back up for those veteran players. We've seen a lot of starters not travel if it's a road game in the in the first preseason game second preseason everybody's going to be there and it's it's almost like a regular season game at this point because they're they're working they maybe don't show the entirety of the playbook yet but the things that they're working on those players want to be at or near 100% efficiency on you mentioned the the short porch that Winnipeg has to get ready for their first game being six days, a a Saturday game, and they play on the following Friday to start the season. Conversely, the team they just played, the Elks, do not play again until the season starts. They are off this weekend, and that gives them, in a sense, in what you lose having to play so quickly at the beginning of the preseason, you gain by the amount of preparation now you can provide for your team to get ready for that opening night. I agree. I think it is advantageous for Edmonton. It's essentially a bye week for them before the season starts. The other teams are going to be beating each other up and and the Elks now have a chance to evaluate, to do walkthroughs, practices. They, They have so many more options available to them, how they run things in this upcoming week and sets them up to be very prepared for that week one. Well, they'll play the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Rough Riders, for their part, will have nine days between games. So that's not as bad as what Winnipeg is facing to start the season. Every advantage you can get in the game of football, let's face it, you're going to run with it. The other thing that I want to discuss a little bit, too, is the situation that uh, came up in BC. Mike Benavides is now with the BC Lions. He 
had been out of coaching and I think it's a good move for the Lions. You've got an experienced guy. He's going to be special teams coordinator, but I think it's a great move for the Lions to get a veteran given that uh, Don Janowski um, was unavailable to uh, be available because of uh, family reasons. We'll put it that way. Mike Benavides does bring a lot of experience and that ability to step in and hit the ground running. There's a lot of talk from CFL fans from time to time about the recycling of coaches in this league. Looking at the head coaching position, it's not necessarily a a revolving door of the same guys in and out all the time, but you do see some of that experience creep back up in those coordinator positions. And case in point with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they've got two guys returning to that coordinator role that have a lot of CFL experience as well. With the situation in BC and and their current or I guess past coordinator not being able to be there for this season, Benavides brings that stability and he's kind of seen it all. So there's no no surprises. Uh, um, I think he's a great calming force going into that role. Getting back to the games that were just played, two of the games came down to the final play with a last play field goal that was made or missed, depending on which game you, to which you refer. But they were entertaining football games for this time of the season. It almost looks like teams are starting to find their mark already, which is really something because last year and especially in 2021, we couldn't say that. No, Ottawa, Montreal was a bit of a field goal festival there for a while until things picked up later on. And you do see some interesting play calls in the preseason There are some third and one situations that I think a lot of head coaches would normally go for it, but they're also auditioning kickers, long snappers and holders. So you have to take that into account. And and there are some field goal attempts that you probably wouldn't see in the regular season that were coming into play in this in this preseason game. The Alouettes, as you mentioned, winning in a in a field goal festival. But the thing is, you got to make them. Everybody did in that football game. Both teams scoring a touchdown in the fourth quarter, which anteed up the game. But the one thing that was interesting to me is that Montreal seems to have Ottawa's number in Ottawa. And you can point back to quite a few games where the Alouettes have come to town. Maybe not with the, you know, maybe they're banged up. Maybe they haven't got the best record and they will take out the Red Blacks. I don't put a lot of weight into the preseason game as an indicator of that. I mean, a win is a win and it always feels nice when you come away with the victory regardless of the situation the regular season will tell if that Montreal dominance in Ottawa continues or if they've maybe figured things out and and can win one at home and and home records if we look over the last couple seasons we know Ottawa and Edmonton have struggled mightily against all teams at home realistically so this is one of the things I'm really interested in this season is to see if and when these teams can get their first home victory. Toronto Argonauts and Hamilton Tiger Cats. Chad Kelly was supposed to start the game, but didn't. Bo Levi Mitchell does for the Tiger Cats. Looks good. Had his receivers hung on to the football, Bo would have had would have had 14 points before the Argonauts had started onto the field. It, he was sharp. He was. That was a big question mark in the offseason. We know coming back from some injury issues and losing the starting job in Calgary to Jake Mayer, 
he does have something to prove and he came out, looked good, looks, looks healthy and strong and has taken away some of those question marks. Still a bit odd to see him in something other than Calgary Stampeders red and white, but it will, we, we will get used to it. And I'm sure the Hamilton fans are happy to have him. Of all the games in preseason last weekend, the Hamilton crowd was by far the largest. And I'm sure the fact that Bo was going to be out there was a huge draw. And he didn't disappoint. And the Ticats didn't disappoint. They beat the Argos. They, they rolled out to a 17 to nothing lead. But the Argos came back in the third quarter and made a game of it and almost pulled it out. Ben Holmes looked okay. He looked like a bit of a rookie, though, with some passes that got away from him. If Chad Kelly can't go, Ben Holmes is the man. He is, and that's what I was mentioning earlier. We know that Chad Kelly has been anointed the number one guy at this point, but how much of a learning curve or how much freedom does he have before they start to look at at something different? And a reminder to our listeners, the Grey Cup is in Hamilton this year, so the Tiger Cat fans are excited to have a new starting quarterback in town and they want to see that Grey Cup drought come to an end. So no surprise that they were the biggest crowd for a preseason game last week. I, I'm feeling good for the Hamilton fans. I think they're going to have a lot to cheer about. Matthew Schultz didn't see the field. Taylor Powell took most of the snaps for the Tiger Cats. Bit of a surprise. Thought that maybe Schultz would see a little bit more game action. On the flip side, Cameron Dukes and Brian Scott played a lot of football for the Argonauts. The entirety of the Argonauts' offense is going to revolve around that quarterbacking situation and how well they're going to play. Now, Curly Gittens Jr. was injured early in that game. That hurt them. Hopefully that's nothing too serious. I haven't heard anything that it is. Argonauts, though, they came out with those new blue uniforms on the road. I thought they were okay. I like the look. I don't know if... That's the permanent full-time change, but for this year as a celebration, it, it's fun to see. And, and we've seen bad uniforms in the past. We've seen good uniforms in the past. I, I do like this change. I think it's going to look really good. Uh, you mentioned Matthew Schiltz didn't see game action in this one. He wasn't the starter last year, but he saw so much game action over the course of the season. It wasn't really a big surprise. Again, the fans, the team wanted to get Bo Levi Mitchell on the on the field to get those fans engaged and excited. Matthew Schiltz is likely to see a lot of snaps in this second preseason game coming up. Skipping over to the game in Edmonton, as we talked about, Terrell Pigram, a two of four though, he didn't throw the ball much, but he, he was able to run. And that was the thing that uh, got him going. In fact, the Blue Bombers, for the most part, didn't throw the ball much with any of their quarterbacks. They didn't, as, as I said, Zach Kolaris started out the game over for the first two series and then threw a bomb and basically dusted his hands off and said, okay, I guess we're ready. Uh, we know Winnipeg traditionally likes to establish a run game as well, something that they have continued to work on. A couple of things impressed about Pegram, we mentioned the long run. His first snap as a quarterback went over his head for a 17-yard loss he comes back on the next play and converts a second and 27. So not a lot of throws, but what he did was was very impressive with that little body of work. 
our first look at Josh Jones as well for the Blue Bombers. On the flip side, it's the three that we think were going to be there. Uh, Trey Ford, eight of nine against the Blue Bomber defense. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, six of nine. The interesting one, Kyle Oxley, again, putting up decent numbers, 15 of 22. Is he really making the bid? (laughs) He is, but as I mentioned before, Cornelius and Ford are going to be tough to knock off of that one-two roll. But Kyle Oxley looked a lot better in the second game than he did in the first game. Not that he looked bad in the first one, but I think he's really settled in and he just gives the Elks so many more options because he has that ability as a receiver and as a quarterback. I would love to see some very creative offensive plays that the Elks can do this year. And let's not forget the receiving core led by Eugene Lewis. So they have some weapons out there. They have an opportunity to dazzle on offense like we haven't seen in a long time. The final game of the weekend, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders playing the British Columbia Lions in Regina. Decent crowd there. Again, Trevor Harris not available. Obviously, more important pressing matters at home with a new child arriving. The Rough Riders go with Jake Dolagala to start the game. He's 12 of 17, so he doesn't do anything to hurt his chances of being on the roster. He's followed by Shea Patterson, who goes 10 of 14. And then Mason Fine gets the fourth quarter, and his very first throw is a pick six. And from that, he comes out of that, leads the team to two touchdowns, and leads them to the win. Does that muddy the waters enough that the Rough Riders have a real problem with picking two, three, and four? The worst completion rate of those quarterbacks was 71%, so really good numbers. You mentioned Fine had the pick six, but then two touchdowns. Other than that interception, he went eight of nine for 110 yards and two touchdowns. There is some buzz around the Riders that Jake Dolagella is fighting hard for that number two spot, but it's hard to overlook what Mason Fine did. Interceptions are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen, but his ability to come back from it says a lot about why he should be that number two guy. It's going to be one of those type of dilemmas that I think as a coach you want to have, but then the hard part of it is getting it right. And did we keep the right guy? Now, the one thing that Dolagala and Fine have over Shea Patterson, they were both in the league last year. Shea Patterson was not. Patterson is doing everything he can to get his career going in the CFL. Mason Fine, who's been with the team for three years, of the quarterback factories, if we want to call it, that maybe Saskatchewan could become, one of these guys is either going to be practice roster or traded. Yeah, it's a tough situation, I would think, for Shea Patterson. If I had to guess, he would be the odd man out of of those three based on that lack of CFL experience, as you mentioned. He hasn't done anything to mess up his chances to make the roster, but he hasn't done anything to overtake either Dolagella or Fine at this point from what we've seen. One more game coming up, maybe he does some amazing things to to get that look. And for the BC Lions, I mentioned earlier that one-two punch of Vernon Adams and Dane Evans. Dane had a really good showing as well, 13 of 16, 162 yards and a touchdown. So 
great to see him in preseason looking sharp already. He had his struggles over the last couple of seasons, and I would love nothing more than to see some success from Dane Evans in a new environment and and working with Vernon Adams Jr. in that, that role, kind of like we saw previously when he was in Hamilton with Jeremiah Mazzoli, Dane Evans kind of being a 1 and 1A one quarterback combo. We've talked a lot about quarterbacking, but somebody on that field in Regina that made a name for himself is Ryder Varga. He's the guy that got the quick pick six, but he was all over the field making tackles left, right, and center. He really gave a great account of himself, and he may have put himself in the discussion to even look at him as being a starter. A great showing, and, and as we've discussed, having only two preseason games to show your stuff, when you have a, a, a play like that for a, an interception for a touchdown on defense, I believe that your stock goes way up. And if he continues to develop and do the right things in other places, absolutely, you could be looking at a starter. And we know with a salary cap, you're always looking at combinations and, and what you can do to fit within those financial confines. A guy like that is probably coming at a discounted price compared to a veteran. So you, you take your chances sometimes when, when you show, when a player shows that much promise and this is the opportunity for him to make a name for himself. We've seen players be very successful. Winnipeg has had some outstanding rookie defensive players over the last few seasons some have gone on to the NFL. There's been rookies of the year. You hope that you find that next guy, and, and BC maybe has. Where does Dominique Davis in the quarterbacking stable fit for the BC lines? He did not play well against the Rough Riders. Judd Erickson and Dane Evans clearly outshone him. We kind of thought that Evans would be the number two behind Vernon Adams Jr., but has Judd Erickson started to make waves enough that Dominique Davis might be on the way out. Uh, I mean, they've given up on on Antonio Pipkin already. Dane Evans showing well does raise some questions about Dominic Davis and, and his performance in this game. Four for 10 for 77 yards and an interception. He did have one 41-yard completion, but also threw a pick in there. So not great numbers. Again, they get one more crack at it. But Dom Davis has to perform and perform well to have a chance to stick on this roster. DraftKings has also come out with sort of a, a run rate in terms of wins and who they think is going to be capable of doing what. So for instance, Winnipeg's bet line is whether they win 12 or more. Hamilton's is 10 or more. BC's nine or more. The Argos, Calgary. It kind of puts you into what they're thinking is when you see Edmonton and Montreal down at the bottom at seven and six, that it, that's where your betting line is. That, that really tells you that they're not having a lot of faith in them right now. I'm, I'm questioning about the Alouettes, especially being that low because they've been kind of hanging around 500 for the last few years. And Jason Moss, to his credit, when he's a head coach, his teams wind up more times than not with winning records. I, I'm a little surprised that there isn't more faith being put in the Alouettes. I know the receiving core was picked over, but there's still a pretty strong defense and a fantastic offensive line there for Cody Fajardo. Cases could be made 
for just about every one of these teams to be over those win predictions, but you, you can't have that. <laughs> we, but you could see a lot more parity. I would like to see the East as close as I've predicted it to be over the last few seasons. I'm inching towards Hamilton being the favorite in the East and likely a, an 11 or 12 win season would be enough to do it. But I think there's going to be three other teams that are going to be fighting somewhere around eight, nine, ten wins, and it's going to be a really tight race. We talked a lot about how injuries come into play, and we've already heard that Mundrashik Hunter has a torn pectoral muscle, and that's a really brutal thing to come back from. But that's a huge loss because that's a huge leader in their defensive backfield. And Shaq Evans has already broken a finger in his opening night with the Red Blacks. That was the trouble with him in Saskatchewan. It was that he was getting injured. His ankle was the problem there, but now he's broken a finger. But we did see Andrew Harris come back from a torn pectoral muscle last year. He missed most of the season, returned for the playoffs to some success and, and another great cup win. Another great cup win. I'd like to see... Money Hunter have the same kind of recovery. It, it is a tough injury, and we wish him all the best and hope to see him back in that lineup. We do see some question marks at receiver for Montreal. It's going to be interesting. Jake Wenicke and Eugene Lewis are huge holes to fill. A great offensive line in, in front of Cody Fajardo can only carry them so far if they don't have the weapons to haul in the passes that he's throwing out there. Looking at the Alouettes receiving core, Tyson Philpot is back. Kaylon Julian Grant is there. Jake Hardy, who's a heart and soul guy, is there. Chandler Worthy is there. Greg Ellenson is there. They Of them, I would say that, and Reggie White Jr. is there. Of them, I would say Philpot and White are your two deep threats. They're the guys that are going to press, 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 press. What they need to find is the Eugene Lewis guy that gets you the tough yards, that makes the catch that nobody's supposed to make. I always want to root for Greg Ellingson. He didn't quite perform up to the standard that they were hoping for in Winnipeg. He could be that replacement for Jake Wenicke, a, a sure-handed receiver. He's not going to blow you away with his speed, but if he and Fajardo find chemistry early, he can be that receiver that's going to move the chains, the guy that you're looking for on those second and sevens that's going to come down with that first down yardage. Philpot is a, a dynamic player as well, so it would be nice to see him really develop into that long long threat. He's got the speed. We've seen him on some returns as well. A really exciting player and a, a pedigree in the CFL that we know has some success. It would be great to see him have a breakout year. The one thing that we haven't discussed at all, we know that Jason Moss is a quarterback and we know that he has a relationship with Fajardo from Saskatchewan. It's Anthony Calvillo that's going to be his offensive coordinator. What a resource that is for Fajardo. There's a guy that was steady. You couldn't find anyone better. I agree. Anthony Calvillo is one of the top five quarterbacks to ever play in the CFL, as far as I'm concerned. And he has, he also played for so many years that he has seen a lot of things. Jason Moss had a, a fairly lengthy career as well. So that's a really solid support system for a player like Cody Fajardo. We saw Cody come out in 2019 with a breakout year. He hasn't lived up to that first 
kind of starting season that he had in Saskatchewan. This is his chance to reinvigorate himself, reignite the fire, and to have those guys as your as your guys that are running through options with you, reviewing plays. That's a, a very, very strong base to learn from. Compare and contrast. Bo Levi Mitchell, when asked about his days with the Stampeders, says, I'm just looking forward. This is a good team that I'm on right now. I want to be a leader on this team. I want to guide this team to where they need to go to get into that Grey Cup. Cody Fajardo asked the same question, does get into it about the Rough Riders a little bit, saying that he wasn't believed in when he was there, that things did not go well there. He, he seemed to be still a little bit stuck in the past. Well, that can go one of two ways. It can be motivation for him to really go with something to prove, or it can eat at him, and then that first sign of adversity starts to creep in and, and your your self-doubt starts to take over. I, I have to agree with you completely. That That is where I went immediately when I heard him talk about his situation. You don't have to necessarily dismiss what happened in the past, but you've got to know where to put it. And Bo Levi Mitchell seems to know that... I, I understand that it was hard for him to leave Calgary and that to learn that he, he was giving up a career in that city. He probably had visions of finishing in the red and white. That may still happen. The short term anyways, that he wasn't going to get that opportunity. He had to know that there were going to be a million questions about what happened in Calgary. And he prepped himself and said, look, I'm not talking about it. I'm, I'm going to talk about the Hamilton Tiger Cats because that's where I'm at. And this is the team that matters. It's a great attitude by both Levi Mitchell. I would expect nothing less he doesn't really have a lot to prove as a CFL quarterback at this point. He's been a an MOP. He's been a Grey Cup champion. Led the league in statistical categories throughout his career. The question mark is, did Calgary let him go too soon? That's the only thing really, really left. He had some injury struggles. The Stampeders believe Jake Mayer is capable of stepping in and filling the void left by Bo Levi Mitchell he is going to lead those Tiger Cats to first place in the East, in my opinion. The quarterbacks with the most to prove this season would be Cody Fajardo, Chad Kelly, and Dane Evans as the the number two guy in BC. But he's looked great so far. Those are the question marks for me that I want to see bounce back years from more so than Bo Levi. I think he's going to step into that role and, and have success right off the bat. Thursday night, Ottawa in Toronto. It's going to be Tyree Adams who's going to start at quarterback for the Red Blacks. I think they're satisfied with what they saw from Nick Arbuckle. Ottawa is now going to have to make up their mind who they want as their third-string quarterback. Later Thursday, Stampeders are in British Columbia. Now, one of the commentaries that I read is that the Stampeders are going into that game with a lot of rookie-laden talent on offense especially that receiving core. They are trying to find that new group that's going to come together. And for Jake Mayer, you may be calling XYZ and they may be running ABC. <laughs> that is going to be the real test for Jake Mayer this season. He's had some had some turnover there at, at receiver. He's got big shoes to fill. As, as we said, he has been anointed the starter. He took over from Mitchell partway through last season as the number one guy didn't have the success in the playoffs that he was hoping for, didn't lead them to a Grey Cup 
appearance, this is his time to shine. And with a, a new receiving core, he might have that opportunity to build chemistry with some of those new players coming in. It's it's going to be not without some challenges this year for Calgary. The one thing that was always said very highly of Bo Levi Mitchell was that he could make any receiver look like an all-star receiver. Can Jake Mayer do the same thing? Hamilton is in Montreal on Friday night. The Riders are in Winnipeg. That one's going to be on TSN. The rest of them, if you go to cfl.ca and sign in to their preseason live, you can watch them on your device, and it's well worth it. And let's face it, Victor Kui, I can't thank you enough for pushing this agenda forward. I've had a ball watching preseason games, and with AirPlay on my phone, I can run it to my TV and watch it on the big screen in HD. It's fantastic. The, the more opportunity we have to see these games, the better. Might not be what we're used to as, as some of these old guys that are used to our, our cable packages. Times are changing. We're going to see some other ways to watch content. And as we mentioned last week, the opportunity to hear some different play-by-play and color guys call these games that we maybe aren't used to is a, a nice little treat as well. Anything to get more football on the screen is fine by me the other thing too and let's not forget this we are going to see some stars being born in these games guys that we've never heard of before at the end of the season a la nathan rourke and just to get back to the the broadcasting a little bit there was an announcement as well that streaming services are going to be available for u.s cfl fans to watch a lot of games a little bit of a change in in how that's done in the u.s but more streaming available, hopefully it draws more eyes to this game. Well, CBS Sports Network is another avenue, and one of the things that they are going to provide is data. We're going to find out what people watch. Is there a name that draws people to the television or to the screen? Is there a team that draws people? All of this stuff, now they can data mine to find out what works, what doesn't. CFL Connect is launched. It's going. Steve Daniel and Jeff Creever have done a fantastic job along with Genius Sports to get this up and running. I don't ever remember stats packages coming out so fast after a game. This is a lot of work that went together with them and Genius Sports to get this ready. My goodness, what a beautiful job they've done so far. I hope that every all the bugs are worked out. Looking forward to getting these preseason games finished up and we can start working on our predictions for what we foresee coming up for this full regular season. That's where perhaps us and the betting groups are going <laughs> to part ways. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. 
please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.